0: Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Kickin' Out It 2 this week as we are in post-WrestleMania season mode. WrestleMania season is in the rear view mirror and just like they do in WWE, they restructure, they reformat, they refresh things. Well, We're going to do the same thing here on Kickin' Out It 2 this week as we're going to be bringing you a blind date diary of a TNA show that I had never watched before up until recently. So I'm going to give you my Blind Date Diary recap of TNA Lockdown 2010 here this week on Kickin' Out at 2. Like I told you recently, I just recently purchased the Impact Plus app and I thought because Peacock was doing a bit of restructuring with the WWE catalog, I wanted to keep some fresh content for all of you listeners. So I purchased the Impact Plus app and uh, we're going to do watch-alongs of some Impact stuff as well as some Blind Date Diaries and other recaps and things like that. So... Uh, TNA Lockdown 2010 is on deck this week here in our Blind Date Diary Recap. I I never watched it before. Just watched it recently. I heard it was a bad show, and I thought, you know what, let me find out for myself. Uh, We're going to keep the TNA train rolling next week as we watch what I think, in my opinion, is the greatest match in TNA Wrestling history. AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe X Division Championship from Unbreakable 2005. It's a match that many longtime TNA fans talk about. It's been over 15 years since I've seen the match live and um, we're going to watch it next week. Dennis is going to join me and we're going to sit back and watch that on Impact Plus app. If you have the Impact Plus app, you can watch it with us too. If not, you can just go along with our running commentary and uh, reimagine what that match may have may have looked like um you know in your head but anyhow um yeah uh wrestlemania season it's all done with uh we had a lot of great wrestlemania content all you listeners really stepped up and uh brought it and and downloaded all that content thank you also very much for doing that on the retromania pro wrestling podcast network um you know while we're on the wrestlemania subject before we get into the, the the lockdown preview um Kobe and I recently recorded an episode of Catching Up where we talk about WrestleMania's Night 1 and Night 2 and give our full recap of each and every match. I'm just going to briefly gloss over the weekend in and of itself um, and just say, you know, the year that we've had with this pandemic and all the things that have taken place in our society with, like, racial injustice and and, um, the divide that's been in our country with, you know, the politics and, you know... things regarding covid uh it was nice to see two nights of just fun feel good wrestling uh with an audience you know regardless of the finishes regardless of the the structuring of the of the matches and regardless of the armchair booking two nights of wrestling in front of a large size crowd in tampa at wrestlemania it it just felt good to be a wrestling fan I can even go further than than that with the two nights prior Um, with NXT TakeOver, you know, Wednesday and Thursday. And they had limited audience in the Capitol Wrestling Center as well. They restructured the arena so that people could, you know, they could fill in more seats um, in a socially distant, safe setting, if you will. So um, I thought overall, it was just nice that, you know, fans got to engage and and be a part of live wrestling again um, on a larger scale. Not to Disrespect any AEW fans out there because they, yes, they've had over a thousand people at their events in a socially distanced setting. Which, by the way, I'm hearing that Daily's Place is going to be able to run at full capacity uh, coming up. So, uh, AEW Dynamite and the other tapings that they that they have, AEW Dark, AEW Dark Elevation. I think they have another show on YouTube. They have so many different shows, it's hard to keep up. Um, they're going to be at full capacity. So, their, their, their television product um, might pop a little more because they're going to have more people in attendance uh, moving forward. So, um, just overall, it just felt good to be a wrestling fan. Those feel-good moments. I, I, I elaborate more on catching up, but I just kind of wanted to touch base with you guys about that. Uh, I know last week... I had said on this show that we were going to discuss my thoughts on WrestleMania 37, a full recap. But you can get that recap on catching up in the Retromania archives by searching Retromania with a W. Uh, catching up for the month of April. So I, I, I decided to pivot a little bit. And I was going through the uh, the TNA catalog. And I was looking at some shows and trying to find some stuff I hadn't seen before. And I was scrolling through and I saw Lockdown 2010, which is headlined by Team Hogan and Team Flair in the Lethal Lockdown war games type match and i thought to myself i've never seen this show before i said why don't i you know put this on and uh give you guys a recap a blind date diary if you will and i remember you know over 11 years ago when the show took place people talked about how terrible it was and it was the beginning of the end for tna etc etc and it's been the beginning of the end for tna for eight years prior to that so um i put it on and uh you're about to get a a A Blind Date Diary of Epic Proportions because uh, this was quite the show. I'll say that. Um, TNA Lockdown 2010 took place on April the 18th, 2010 from the Family Arena in St. Louis, Missouri with attendance of 3,023 people. Uh, The show opens with a video package emphasizing the all-steel cage theme of the pay-per-view. Now, for those of you that don't know or aren't familiar with older TNA wrestling content, Lockdown is a pay-per-view event where they have every single one of their matches take place inside of a steel cage. Now, think about this for a minute here, okay? On paper, in theory, when you look at it, it's like, oh, cool, that's a pretty cool theme, at least for me. That's how I felt. But the execution of it, not so much. Um, Maybe if they had one, maybe even two matches in a cage, it, 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 it would be suffice. But every single match in a cage, just doesn't work and they've kind of flip-flopped that 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 concept back and forth there's been some years where TNA has had all their matches in a cage and there's been some years where TNA has only had a couple of their matches in a cage um on the lockdown pay-per-views this particular year 2010 every single match is, is a part of the uh the, the steel cage format um so anyhow the show opens with Mike today and Taz on commentary welcoming us with breaking news Doug Williams is being stripped of the the X Division Championship because of the he's due to the fact I should say easy for me to say that uh, he's stranded in the UK uh, due to a volcano eruption in Iceland. Now, if you remember back in 2010, WWE uh, embarked on this similar situation where they had a tour overseas and half of their roster couldn't make it back to the United States, so they had to take the SmackDown crew and bring them over to Monday Night Raw and do a special edition of Monday Night Raw with SmackDown on it. Um, which that actually something similar like that happened, uh, about a year and a half ago with, uh, the Saudi Arabia trip where they couldn't get the roster back home in time to do SmackDown. So NXT pretty much took the, took the, uh, the, the load of, uh, carrying SmackDown. Um, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, so in this situation here, um, Doug Williams has been stripped of the X division championship and a new champion will be crowned later on in the show. Uh, Taz also breaks more news that 6Pac from the band um, no-showed the event, and 6 Pack was being 6 Pack, so Scott Hall's going to have to uh, either go it alone or find a replacement for his tag team match against the band, or against Team 3D, later in the evening. And then uh, Mike Tanay announces that Eric Bischoff hasn't arrived to the arena yet, and they kind of foreshadow some dissension between Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan as the on-screen bosses. So you got those common threads to kind of keep in the back of your mind as the show goes on. Um, opening match here, RVD defeating James Storm in 6 minutes and 40 seconds to earn Team Hogan the man advantage in the lethal lockdown match later in the evening. So RVD is representing Team Hogan, James Storm is representing Team Flair. Um, the announcers really drive home the, the, the point of this being very important in this match that you know leads us to the main event with the one-man advantage. Um, I really like that element on commentary, how Mike Tenay really emphasized that point. Same thing with Taz. Match starts off with RVD drop kicking the cage door into James Storm on the outside. We um, get a lot of brawling early on on the outside with RVD pretty much taking the advantage. Um, and then before they get back into the cage, James Storm takes Van Dam and slams him into the ring steps and splits him wide open. Van Dam's Van bleeding pretty bad early on, so kind of really emphasizing that dangerous element of lockdown in the steel cage with Van Dam getting cut open early. Uh, The match would finally make its way into the cage with Van Dam nailing all his signature stuff, Van Terminator, Rolling Thunder. Um, He again goes for a monkey flip into the corner, but he misses, and then James Storm nails him with a neckbreaker to take the advantage, followed by a rear headlock, uh, which doesn't last very long as Van Dam fights back, or tries to fight back, I should say. But James Storm cuts him off with a clothesline over the top rope into the cage. Um, then Stormer would continue work on the bleeding forehead of RVD, rubbing his face into the cage. Uh, with um, RVD fighting back eventually and setting up a spinning heel kick, leaving both men down. Um, both men then deliver a series of right hands back and forth to each other with the crowd chanting back and forth in favor of Van Damme. Um, but Van Dam manages to gain the upper hand on Storm in the comeback. We get a split-legged moonsault by RVD um, for a two-count, and then Storm would eventually fight back and nail a jawbreaker then spit his beer into RVD's face, followed by a kick DDT combo for a two-count. The finish would come when Storm sets up his last call super kick but misses. RVD nails him with a spinning heel kick to then set up the five-star frog splash for the win. Um, it was a fun little match to open the show. There were stakes involved. It, it, you know, sets up the main event. Um, RVD was dominant for the most part in this match. And uh, I thought for sure Storm was going to get the win to give the heels the advantage because that's usually the formula in lockdown war games type matches where the heel gets the one man advantage and the baby faces make the comeback. But um, this was a little different. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, We send it to the back with Christy Hemi, who's with Hulk Hogan, to discuss the lethal lockdown match. Uh, Hogan talks about his team's odds in the match and what his team has gone through lately, citing examples of Sting taking out Jeff Jarrett, beer money nailing Jeff Hardy with a beer beer bottle trying to burn his head off, Abyss getting nailed with a fire extinguisher and then getting run over by a car. Um, But after all that, Team Hogan is still standing tall. Uh, Hogan says that if Flair's team destroys his team tonight, he might as well pack his bags and leave TNA. Uh, which wasn't a clause in the contract of the match or a stipulation but it was something that was really um, emphasized moving forward after Hogan you know made those comments uh, he also talks about the whereabouts of Eric Bischoff and says he's done fighting it Eric is who he is um, and he's over it and you know he cuts out of the scene so more dissension. Kind of foreshadowing Eric Bischoff's possible involvement in this match as well as Hogan. Uh, it, it, like I said, common thread to keep out, keep throughout this show. Um, up next, we have the X-Division escape match for the vacant X-Division title. The first person to climb over the cage wins the match and advances to the X-Division title match later in the evening to face Kazarian and Shannon Moore. The participants include Homicide, Brian Kendrick, and the Motor City Machine Guns of Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin. Uh, the match starts off with Kendrick trying to escape through the door, but the referees won't let him because he has to climb over the top. Which I was a little, uh, I was a little baffled by. I mean, escaping is escaping, but you know, Dave Penzer did announce, the ring announcer did announce that he had to climb over the top. Um, but that was that was a that was a neat little trinket there that Kendrick tried to use the door, and you know, he was stopped by the referees. Um, Motor City Machine Guns would uh, work together early on using a lot of their double-team tag-team offense on Kendrick and Homicide, who would then eventually work together as a team to combat the the Motor City Machine Guns. Uh, We had several attempts of escape from all the competitors in the match. Uh, Mike Tanay during this match would announce that Hulk Hogan has informed Scott Hall that he must find a tag-team partner to replace 6-Pac against Team 3 tonight, or he's got to go it alone in a handicap match. Uh, Homicide would then nail Chris Saban with the Gringo Killer, a.k.a. the vertebreaker, which got a pretty big pop from the crowd. Um, and then he would quickly climb up the cage after tricking Kendrick into helping him, and he would get the victory at 4 minutes and 58 seconds. Um, this match was okay. It felt rushed to me. Uh, could have benefited from getting a little bit more time, but I get it. This was something that was thrown together at the last minute because of the situation with Doug Williams. So, um, yeah, it was what it was. Uh, next up, we get a video package covering the history of the friendship between Kevin Nash and Eric Young, with Kevin Nash eventually turning on Eric Young. Um, Nash and Eric Young had an on-screen uh, uh, relationship, friendship, partnership, if you will, uh, before Hogan and Bischoff came into TNA, and then Hall and 6 came to TNA, and um, Nash had kind of aligned with them, which many expected because of their history together in the NWO, um, yeah, this match coming up. Nash and Eric Young goes four minutes and fifty seconds with Kevin Nash getting the victory. Uh, early on, we got a lot of hit and run offense from uh, from Eric Young to Nash. It was a solid big man, little man match psychology to get things going, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, Nash would manage to get the referee distracted, caught up, if you will, um, and nails Eric Young with a low blow. Now this is seems to this is going to be a theme throughout the night. Not the low blows, but the fact that. Guys are using tactics to 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 cheat to get the advantage over their opponent in these types of matches, and this match takes place in a steel cage. Each match takes place in a steel cage, I should say. So why do you need to hide something from the referee if the steel cage element represents a no-disqualification type environment? That's uh, That's what just kind of, I'm not understanding, and I didn't understand this. Why did they have to do that? Each man, there's a lot of matches here where guys will do something behind the referee's back to 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 get the upper hand for a finish. And in this case here, this wasn't for a finish, but I just thought, they're in a cage. There's no disqualification. You're using the cage as a weapon. Why do you need to do that? But they did it nonetheless. Um, Nash would then deliver a series of power moves to dominate Eric Young. Uh, eventually, Eric Young would try to chop the big man down at times, but Nash would get the upper hand with more power moves, We'd get a big boot and a snake eyes uh, into the cage from Nash to, to, to Eric Young. And then he pulls down the straps to set up the jackknife powerbomb for the win. Um, this match was what it was. It was nothing special. I'm glad it didn't go any longer than it did. Um, Nash would grab the mic post-match to announce that he will be the one tagging with Scott Hall against Team 3D later in the night, which I kind of figured was going to be the scenario. If he's in the building, um, you know, it's his buddy. That that's the that's the easy logical route. So, um, didn't need to split atoms to to figure that one out. Uh, next up is the Knockouts tag team match. Uh, we get a video package previewing the upcoming match. It's Angelina Love and Tara facing off against the Beautiful People's Velvet Sky and Madison Rain. Velvet Sky and Madison Rain are the Knockouts Tag Team Champions, and Angelina Love is the Knockout Singles Champion. The rules are. Um, all titles are on the line. If Tara and Angelina win, they become the Knockouts Tag Team Champions. If one of the beautiful people score the pinfall, that person becomes the Knockouts Singles Champion. Uh, this match was really nothing special. Uh, the girls they worked hard, no doubt, but you know this. It felt like this match was too short, rushed, like the X Division match, and the crowd didn't really seem to care. Uh, you can you can kind of tell. Um, it, it felt like the audience was. Talking over the match like they were talking amongst themselves while this match was going on, they didn't really engage with the match. Um, the finish comes when the referee's distracted with Velvet Sky and Angelina fighting. Lacy Lacy Von Eric opens the cage door to nail Tara with the title belt and help Madison get the victory. Once again, they had to do some kind of distraction for someone to cheat. When I thought the steel cage format was no disqualification. They're using the cage as a weapon against each other. Why isn't the referee calling for a DQ then? Um, I was a little confused by that once again, and they did the same thing in this match here. Um, Angelina didn't get pinned to lose her championship, which she wasn't really happy about post-match. You could see Tara, she was trying to apologize to her because Tara was the one that ate the pinfall. Angelina seemed to accept the apology and walk away, but as she was walking away, Tara attacked her and put a beating on her post-match, which kind of left me puzzled because I would think that Angelina would be the one that's upset that she lost her title without getting pinned. Why would Tara turn on her, but... That was TNA booking at the time, so uh, it was just kind of out of nowhere and uh, pointless, in my opinion. Um, up next, Jeremy Borash is with Team Flair to discuss the Lethal Lockdown match along with AJ Styles' TNA World Title match versus the Pope later on in the night. Um, Flair did a good job hyping his return. Or hyping, I'm sorry, the, the excuse me, hyping his return. Hyping um, the match for his team. I should say, uh, talking about um, what each guy's going to do to the others and talking about how he's going to get rid of Hogan. It wasn't over-the-top Ric Flair because I don't look very fondly on Ric Flair's run in TNA as being anything important or serious. The most notable thing he ever did was that, that, that face-off with Jay Lethal when Jay Lethal did the Ric Flair imitation. That was it. Everything else was just forgettable and and sometimes unwatchable. Um, but this was a serious po- promo from Flair to Hogan, and I liked it. I thought it... it, 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 it raise the level of importance for the match between the two teams for lethal lockdown. And then, uh, we cut to AJ styles who talks about, you know, his match with, with Pope. And honestly, they could have done without AJ in this, in this situation here, they could have just had flair hyping up his team and leave AJ for a different segment because this is another part of AJ. It's another part of, you know, AJ styles career that, doesn't get looked fondly by many wrestling fans. It's not remembered as being something very memorable in a positive way, um, especially since he's like a Ric Flair knockoff with the the the, the highlights in his hair, the earrings, the the, the robe with the sequins and the feather boa. This was this was silly. I didn't really care for it at all, um, and, it, and it made me. I'm glad that AJ Styles recovered as a performer from it, but it was it soured me on aj Styles as a, as a as a as a character at that time and i remember watching it back then not this show but his character at the time and thinking this is stupid this is silly you know I get in theory why they paired him with flair they wanted to add some credibility to him and give him some shine with having Rick flair as his like protege his mentor or whatever but it was. It wasn't necessary to to dress him up like little mini Ric Flair. It was like he was cosplaying as as it, AJ Styles looked like he was cosplaying as Charles Robinson, cosplaying as Ric Flair. If you kind of understand where I'm going with that, um, even the promo style, the way he sounded, it sounded like a Flair knockoff. His delivery of certain lines and you know the cadence in his voice, I was like, come on, just be AJ Styles. Don't be AJ Styles trying to be Ric Flair. So um next up we get the three-way x division title match with kazarian defeating homicide and shannon moore to win the vacant x division championship in nine minutes and seven seconds um this was a fast-paced fast-paced encounter we had all three guys making quick pin attempts uh but broken up by the odd man outs that seemed to be the trend in this match um at times this, this seemed like it was a mess too um timing was off between these guys not a whole lot of chemistry i get it this was thrown together at the last minute because of the doug williams situation but Um, this was, this, this was, like I said, a jumbled mess at times. It was what it was. Um, homicide would nail a double cutter off the top rope to Kaz and Shannon, which got a mild pop from the crowd. Another match that the crowd didn't seem to care for. And I think a lot of this had to do with the fact that this was thrown together at the last minute. Um, I don't think it's because of the talents per se, but I think it was because of the lack of the story. The people didn't have a reason to care. And I think it showed by their lack of reaction for this match. Um, Taz on commentary would point out that the winner of this match won't get the actual championship belt because that's still currently in the possession of Doug Williams, who stranded over in the UK due to the volcano issue in Iceland. Um, I thought it was interesting that he brought that point up. Um, you know, kind And he even said, too, on commentary as well, another point he brought up was he thought it was unfair that Williams got stripped of the title because of this issue, which I kind of agree with. You know, I get it that they that they needed to call an audible, but they could have turned this match into like a number one contenders match and the winner faces Williams at a later date. But it was like they had to pull the title off him real quickly. And and, and this is the this is the route that they went. You know, maybe at the time they didn't know how long he was going to be stranded for and they needed to come up with something quick. But I don't know. I just felt like they could have put this one on pause for a little bit. Um the finish would come when Kaz would nail homicide with a backwards pile driver to win the championship crowd pop for the finish. Um, that little backwards pile driver that Kazarian does is pretty impressive. Um, but I think they popped more because they were happy to see the match end because they didn't really care for this match. Um, up next, we have Christy Hemi backstage with the Pope D'Angelo De Niro discussing his world title match with AJ Styles. Uh, Pope would mock AJ's last name, calling him out for his lack of style. Um, noting the highlights in his hair and his earrings which I thought was kind of funny it was a, it was like a nod to the internet wrestling community who at that time didn't really care for this presentation of AJ Styles they they were you know AJ Styles was an internet wrestling darling but this version of AJ Styles I don't think the internet wrestling community or wrestling fans in general who were who watched TNA we're big fans of this version of AJ Styles. I think it was way too forced, and and it just didn't it didn't fit him being this knockoff Ric Flair with the robe and everything else. Um, but Pope would kind of bring it back full circle here after taking a few you know lighthearted jabs at AJ and talk about the importance of winning this match and becoming the champion, which I thought was a nice you know bringing things back full circle, a good balance of you know comedy but seriousness at the same time um, in his promo. We get Team 3D up next, defeating the band, Hall and Nash, in 6 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, Match starts out with Bubba Ray cutting a promo, telling the referee to keep the cage door open because this is St. Louis, and they came to see them fight, and this is now a St. Louis street fight, Falls Count Anywhere, which got a pretty big pop from the crowd. Um, The band, Hall and Nash, come out to the NWO Wolfpack music without the lyrics, which I didn't know that TNA owned the rights to... The, the the song from the NWO Wolfpack, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, you know, sometimes on WWE Network, um, they'll dub over certain music from prior events because they don't own the rights um, and the licensing to that music, and so it kind of reminded me of that. But at the same time, I kind of go back and remember that um, Keith Mitchell, who was the head of production in WCW, also worked for TNA, and I think he, I think. He owned some of the rights to the, to some of the music. He helped produce some of that stuff, and maybe this Wolfpack tune uh, w- was one of them. Um, the fight starts out on the ramp between both teams and kind of spills out into the crowd. I noticed early on that Scott Hall looked absolutely terrible. Um, very slow-moving, the way he sold. Um, it almost was like he just wasn't there. Like, there was just something missing about him. And I know this was during a period of time where... Um, this wasn't the best Scott Hall. He was in, he was involved in, in heavy uh, recreational drug use and alcohol abuse and things like that. Um, so uh, he didn't look to be in the best shape either. He was a little bit heavy, but um, yeah, he was. Um, he, he just didn't look right. I don't know. I just I could just the way he moved around, and even you could see the look in his eyes too. Like at, at times, like I, I didn't look. I didn't see him as selling it. I just saw like. There was just something that wasn't right about him during this match. Uh, he just seemed a little off. But um, the match would make it out into the crowd. Crowd would pop pretty big for that. Uh, all four guys fight and brawl. And eventually it makes it into the cage after a few minutes where um, Hall and Nash would then double team Devon while uh, Bubba Ray is trying to get back into the cage. Which is, the cage door has been locked. Even though there's no lock on the cage door, apparently it's locked. Um, Bubba Ray tries a few times to get back into the cage. And then all of a sudden Nash holds the door to, to prevent him from getting back in. And you ain't going to see fat-ass Bubba Ray climbing up the cage either. So he grabs a chair from ringside and he hits Nash's fingers on the chair, which then opens the door and Bubba Ray comes into the ring and uh, begins his comeback on uh, Hall and Nash. Um, 3D would, it would regain the advantage with a series of double-team moves in the corner. Uh, Devon delivers the what's-up spot to Hall, which gets a pretty good pop. Hall sold that kind of well. Um, and then uh bubba bully whatever you want to call him calls for the tables diva get the tables crowd eats that up too we get a 3d through the table for to scott hall for the win um yeah was a fun little brawl nothing more nothing less i'm glad it didn't go longer than it did i think a lot of it had to do with um the age of these individuals uh hall and nash nash wrestled earlier in the night scott hall wasn't at his best and so um the band uh you know, kind of put a limitate their their limitations kind of limited the time in this match, which is fine. But it was a fun little brawl for what it was. Uh, really put over three D. I think after this pay per view, I think Hall was gone from the company. I think something happened um, at this pay per view or right around this time where they decided to part ways with him because he was no longer seen after this show. And like I said, he looked terrible. Like I said, maybe he was under the influence of something, but he there was just something off about him as I was watching this match and. Maybe that had something to do with his exit from TNA at the time. Um, up next, we get a video package covering Kurt Angle and Mr. Anderson. Uh, the buildup for this match, uh, watching this video package, was pretty damn good. Um, I forgot how good this rivalry was. I remember, you know, 11 years ago watching uh, the lead up to this. With Engel and Anderson, it was pretty damn good. They went the American Hero route where Anderson was disrespecting Kurt Engel as an American Hero and, you know, what Engel stands for. And Anderson's this young upstart just trying to make a name for himself in TNA. He had just debuted in the company, I think like a month or two prior uh, as a part of the big um, Hogan-Bischoff introduction uh, to TNA. He was one of the big names that they had brought in. So, uh, yeah, this was a lot... This match was a lot of fun. Um, This match went 20 minutes, 55 seconds, with Kurt Angle getting the win over Mr. Anderson. The winner is the individual that walks out of the cage door. So they're very specific. One match you had to climb over, the other one you had to walk out the cage door. Um, Anderson would cut his pre-match promo on the microphone, repeating his last name and reminding everyone that he has the precious key to victory, uh, which he won that key. Uh, during a match on impact which is the key to the lock on the door Uh, so that's interesting he's got possession of the key so you have to have the key to unlock the door yourself the referee doesn't do it for you that's a little interesting twist there Uh, This was a good violent match from both these guys angle really made Anderson look like a credible threat in this match reminded me a lot of why at that time I liked Anderson I was a big Ken Kennedy fan in WWE and I thought that you know he had some bad breaks with some injuries but he had so much potential to be a big star. And, you know, that got cut short in WWE. He was let go and he comes to TNA and right off the rip, they put him with Kurt Angle and Angle made him look like a top guy in this match here. A lot of blood from both these guys. The crowd is really into this match. Angle had multiple attempts to leave the cage, but threw away the key to continue punishing Anderson. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, We would see a German suplex from the top rope to Anderson, which got a big pop. Uh, and then Angle climbs the top of the cage and goes for a moonsault, landing one on Anderson. Holy shit chance. Uh, you guys have probably seen in the highlight reels over the years, that particular clip, Angle off the top of the cage, moonsaulting Anderson. It's it's a, it's one of the most memorable moments in TNA history. Um, then Angle unlocks the cage door and he's ready to escape, but Anderson flips him off, which ends up being blurred out on the Impact app. Um which doesn't surprise me. And then Angle runs back in the ring to punish him some more. Anderson low blows him and then gives him the mic check resulting in Anderson trying to crawl out the door only for Angle to catch him with an ankle lock in the middle of the ring. Then Anderson would use his momentum to roll over and send Angle into the cage. Following that, he would try to escape, but Angle then chokes him out with his military dog tag spits in his face and then walks out of the cage. Now, the significance of the military dog tag. Anderson stole that from Angle on a recent episode of Impact and attacked him. They showed that in the video package. Angle ended up getting it back and using it to choke Anderson out. Great match. Easily the match of the night on this show. Easily. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was very violent. Uh, felt very personal between these two. Crowd ate it up great story was told angle just wanted to punish anderson some more he had multiple opportunities to win the match and anderson goaded him into a fight some more angle punished him and punished him and punished him and finally decided he had had enough and walked out that door and he was declared the winner um angle would then get on the mic on top of the ramp and uh, thank the fans for his for their support, he would announce that he's going to take some time off to heal up and regroup. But when he comes back, he's focused on regaining the TNA World Heavyweight title. I thought that was a nice touch. Kind of puts an end to the Anderson rivalry. And then, you know, when Angle comes back, you have a built-in story with him focused on regaining the world title in TNA. I thought that was a pretty nice touch um, and, and and really shakes things up uh, in the, the main event scene at that time. Um, we'd get a video package for AJ Styles and the Pope ahead of their world title match um you know pope i guess on multiple occasions had the opportunity to defeat aj came up close but um aj would squirm out the victory so we get a rematch here aj would defeat the pope in 15 minutes and 43 seconds to retain the tna world heavyweight title um start the match with flair getting sent to the back by referee earl hebner him and emer would have a sh- uh, shoving match And Hebner would send him to the back. He was banned from ringside. Um, This was a solid match, but it wasn't a world beater. Um, We saw a little bit of a different side of AJ Styles. He wasn't the typical high-flying AJ Styles we saw. We saw more of a ground-based style uh, to his presentation in the match, which I think at the time would represent his current persona being that he was associated with Ric Flair. But at times he would revert to the old AJ Styles with the phenomenal forearm and and other high flying moves. But for the most part, this was very ground based on AJ's part. Um, the crowd was split between these guys. I think I think the diehard hardcore TNA fans respected AJ so much it was hard to boo him. But at the same time, they also wanted to see somebody new like Pope in a top spot, and so they were kind of split back and forth. Let's go AJ. Let's go Pope. Uh, throughout this match. Um. But at the same time, there were moments when Pope would deliver a series of offensive maneuvers and the crowd was not really behind him. Um, So this was kind of a weird match when it comes to the crowd's participation. Uh, Styles would climb up the top of the cage and go for a crossbody and miss. Pope would then capitalize on the pin only to get a two count. Um, As the match progressed from an in-ring standpoint, there was a good story With Pope seemingly coming up short and being so close to getting the best of Styles. um, Only for Styles to just kind of squeak out a kick out uh, throughout this match. Uh, The referee would get distracted with Pope as AJ Styles would then grab a pen from the cameraman. I don't know what the cameraman is doing with a pen. But he grabs a pen from the cameraman and he stabs Pope in the eye. Which then sets up a discus, discus clothesline and a Styles clash for the victory um uh, like i said this wasn't a world beater it's another situation where they're inside of a steel cage steel cages are supposed to represent a no disqualification environment yet aj had to do something to cheat to win another cheat to win type finish in this match uh i kind of think that kind of took away from it i'll be honest with you i was kind of hoping that you know aj would get somewhat of a clean victory because in the buildup of this match aj was always cheating to win or sneaking out the victory you know due to some underhanded tactics granted yes he's a heel heels cheat to win but um i thought maybe we would go a different route here but like i said this was not a world beater of a match um and the crowd was pretty split and at times more aj than they were pope who was the babyface. so um we cut to the backstage area as Jeremy Borash manages to hunt down Eric Bischoff, who just arrived to the building. Um, Bischoff blows him off, and then Taz and uh, Mike tonight speculate Bischoff's role in the upcoming match, which is our main event. Lethal Lockdown. War Games-type match with entries every two minutes. Team Hogan, represented by Rob Van Dam, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Hardy, and Abyss, would defeat Team Flair. Sting, Desmond Wolf, who is Nigel McGuinness, and Beer Money, Robert Roode and James Storm in 30 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, Abyss would enter first to Hulk Hogan's WCW theme music, which I thought was kind of cool. I was kind of taken aback by that. And then entering first for Team Flair is Robert Roode of Beer Money. Um, we get uh, I'm not going to go through each and every entry, but um, other notable moments from this match include... Um, it, was, it was weird for me to see the babyfaces have the advantage in this War Games type setting because, like I said earlier, this is a formula for... Um, for uh, you know the heels to have the advantage and the babyfaces to come back. This match is designed for the babyfaces to win here, uh, so having g- giving them the advantage, um, it kind of it, it kind of flips the formula on its ear a little bit, which it could be interesting to some, but weird to others. I found it to be very weird that the babyfaces had the advantage this entire match. Uh, well, not the entire match, but for most of this match. Like I said, that's typically a heel theory a heel type move to have them have the advantage um we then cut to a shot backstage of jeff hardy who was taken out by sting who was supposed to be the last guy to enter for team hogan so therefore the heels now have the advantage with sting entering last um and then the roof of the cage lowers this is the part of the lethal lockdown where once all the men are in the cage lowers so um Sting would enter and the roof would lower and there's weapons hanging from the cage like kendo sticks and garbage cans and chairs, etc. And that begins Lethal Lockdown, which in order to win Lethal Lockdown, you have to pin or make one of your opponents submit to win the match. Um, and At this point, there was plunder everywhere, you know, garbage cans, tables, chairs, etc. Abyss would dump out some thumbtacks, attempted to choke slam Sting onto them, but James Storms would prevent that with a beer bottle shot to the head. Uh, the heels would then dominate until Jeff Hardy would show up with a kendo stick and he would start wailing on guys. Uh, Jeff Jarrett would then nail Desmond Wolfe with a guitar shot followed by a five-star frog splash from RVD. Abyss would eventually chokeslam Sting onto those thumbtacks, which got a pretty big pop. I didn't expect Sting to take that bump, but nonetheless, he did. Um, then we see Jeff Hardy climbing up the outside of the cage uh, to the top, goading James Storm to go fight him up top, but both of beer money climb up top. And double-team Hardy for a little bit. You see a table up there. There's a ladder up there placed up top, which signals you're going to see some sort of crazy high spot uh, with Hardy jumping off the ladder onto Storm, through a table, on top of the steel cage. Uh, crazy spot. You get a holy shit chant from the crowd. Um, it's pretty impressive to see see that, to be honest with you, going back and watching it, a ladder and a table on top of a steel cage, and Hardy climbs the top of this table. He's a, he's a freaking lunatic um then rick flair's music plays as he makes his way down to the ring and enters the cage he starts to attack abyss uh he tries to steal hogan's hall of fame ring even trying to bite abyss's finger and then all of a sudden hogan's bootleg nwo music plays as he makes his way out to confront flair um bischoff would then show up to stop hogan And they start to have words with each other. Hogan would eventually give him the baseball bat. And then it looks like Bischoff's going to help Flair as he pulls out a set of brass knuckles. Flair gets excited thinking Bischoff's on his side. But then we get the swerve. He throws Hogan the knuckles. And Hogan uses them on Flair and busts them open. Flair takes a bump into the thumbtacks. Hogan and Flair, they, they pretty much stole the spotlight of the rest of the match. With their involvement, Bischoff included. Which I didn't really think it was too necessary to have them involved in the match. But I get it. It's Hogan's team. It's Flair's team. I, I I get it. Even though I don't agree with it, I understand why they did it. Uh, the finish comes when Abyss nails the black hole slam onto Desmond Wolfe for the win. Uh, this match was okay. It was nothing special. Um, I thought it was unnecessary for the run-ins with Hogan, Flair, and Bischoff. They could have maybe done that on the outside. Didn't need to do that inside the cage, but... Um, this was, a, this was an okay match overall. Um, as far as the entire show goes, this was a one-match show. If there's anything you want to watch, it's Kurt Angle, Mr. Anderson. Um, they stole it. And uh, this particular event here, this particular lockdown in 2010, the all-cage match concept, it just didn't work here. It limited the performers. I felt like... Um, you know there wasn't anything very unique about each and every match with the exception of maybe the Angle Anderson match and the lockdown match everything else just felt like it was the same um if 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 you want to you know talk about you know in blind date diaries form what this show is to me this is definitely going to be one that's going to be in the black book forever and it's it's not coming back i'll watch angle and anderson again but uh, this blind date is very similar to a blind date I have been on before where the meal's good, but the rest of the date just kind of sucked. And Angle and Anderson represents the, the, the meal in and of itself on the blind date. Um, and that about does it this week here on kicking Out at 2 for our Blind Date Diaries. Uh, like I said, next week, we're going to be rolling on with some more TNA. We're going to be covering AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, Unbreakable 2005, it's a watch party. Dennis Levy's going to join me. We're going to watch you on the Impact Plus app. If you got that app, you can join us. If not, join us for the running commentary. We're going to have plenty to talk about when it comes to those three performers in TNA. And then the following week, we're going to go back a little WWE, WWF-ish. Uh, we're going to watch a match from Backlash 1999. Because as they recently announced at WrestleMania... We're going to have an extension of WrestleMania take place on May the 16th called WrestleMania Backlash. And before there was WrestleMania Backlash, there was a WrestleMania rematch at the very first Backlash pay-per-view event in 1999. That being the main event, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock for the WWF Championship with Shane McMahon as the guest referee. That's the Austin Rock match that a lot of people don't really talk about. When people talk about Austin Rock, they talk about... Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock from all three WrestleManias. But nobody talks about the Backlash match. Well, Dennis and I are going to watch that match in two weeks here on Kicking Out at 2 and give us give you our running thoughts on that angle, on the storyline heading into that match and just the, the impact that Rock and Austin had um, as performers in WWE. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll watch that on Peacock because it is available on Peacock. They're starting to slowly, surely bring some more stuff back to Peacock. So um, now that I've added the TNA content from the Impact Plus app into the arsenal here on Kicking Out of Two. I'm going to have unlimited amounts of content for all of you to binge on. So be on the lookout for that in two weeks. Next week, Styles, the unbreakable triple threat with Styles, Joe, and Daniels, and so much more here on Kicking Out of Two. And with that being said, I think it's about that time that we put this show officially down for the three count. And see you all next week.